Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationship and debunk bad relationship advice using science. Science. Oh my God. (laughs) Is that too much? A little. (laughs) I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee College of Nursing. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa. And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods out of the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. Today, we have a lot of wonderful things on the docket. First, in our pop and culture segment, um, Jacob's going to bring us some sweet, sweet uh, pop culture uh, jazz. <laughs> that uh, pop culture jazz. That's what the kids are calling it. And then in our academic deep dive segment, uh, Woods is going to talk about an academic article. If you share my happiness, you are part of me. Capitalization and the experience of couple identity. Ooh, very <laughs> fascinating. And we're going to talk about some advice that some listeners sent in. Thank you so much for bringing that. As always, if you want to send in some advice for us to talk about, tweet at us, Instagram us, email us, attachpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about it. But before we get to all of that, how's everybody doing? I feel like it's been a while since I've talked to you guys. It's kind of crazy. It has been. Well, not super long, but long for us, I guess, right? It just feels long. (laughs) It's been a full 48 hours. (laughs) We kind of had a random weekend this weekend. So my friend Aislinn, who is also a podcast listener, shout out to Aislinn. Oh, I've seen that name before. Yeah, she, it was her birthday. Happy birthday. Um, So we were driving to her birthday party and then one of Chelsea's grad school friends like sent a snap of the fact that she had a temperature of 104. Oh my gosh. So we're like, "Uh, you need to go to the emergency room. So we went and... um, took her to the emergency room and waited for her there and ended up missing the whole birthday party, which was really sad. Oh, no. Uh, Luckily, Chelsea's friend is doing better, got some fluids, got some Tamiflu, and is at home resting. But it was kind of like we were on our way because to, like, drive to see it, we were passing this, uh, her friend's house, and we just picked her up and, like, okay. So, but it was was interesting to spend a... uh, a Saturday night after a football game in, in a college town in an emergency room. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, there was, there was um, a couple of drunk people who oh. had fallen in dislocated shoulders, who had fallen and broken up their chin and needed stitches, and were kind of belligerent to the intake people. No. So oh, it wasn't as fun God. as going to a party, but it was pretty interesting. Entertaining, yeah. There's some uh, sights to behold, it sounds Exactly. I am currently in Toronto, which I think makes this an international pod. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We're international, baby. (laughs) Um, I'm here for a conference, and I'm thoroughly enjoying having a hotel room all to myself. Oh, my gosh. Um, Fancy. I think I had forgotten what sleeping was, (laughs) and now I remember, and I'm sure I will learn a lot here, but especially, like, the joys of, like, I'm not the one washing the towels so Mm. (laughs) that's where i am for a little bit what are you presenting on there um i'm presenting on the research 
from our episode seven mini pod and oh, cool. a few other projects about integrated behavioral health care. And one of the projects you're leading, Jacob, about a family assessment. So we have a few different things here. I've heard Toronto's really cool. I've never been there, but I've heard it's really cool. By cool, uh, the air literally took my breath away last night. I stepped out of the airport. It was I don't, 27 degrees or something. I quickly walked back into the airport <laughs> to recuperate. It is, yeah, cool is one word for it. Uh, yeah, well, so that's a nice balmy November day in Iowa. What are you talking about? Oh my God, it's bananas. <laughs> it's way too cool. I'm no longer used to it. Well... In listening to some of our podcasts, I've realized that the vast majority of my conversations tend to revolve around food. Um, That's not a bad thing. No, it's not. It's a self-realization that I've made because when I was thinking about what to talk about today, I was like, I made some more pies last night. And I also talking about um, some cheese. So anyway, I'm just going to own it and lean in. So... I went to this birthday party last night. It was a lot of fun. The kids came. There were tons of kids. It was like a kid's adult thing. Um, I drank a lot, which was fantastic. And my friend made a soup. It was a potato and leek soup. And I have never had such a fantastic soup in my life. She sent me the recipe because I insisted I needed it. (laughs) I... (laughs) It was so good. Um, I think I had three bowls of it. Oh my God. Um, and then I made an apple pie for the crew there. And so I finished off the wonderful leek soup with some apple pie and maybe a whole entire bottle of Prosecco. Whatever. It's a fantastic night. Yes. <laughs> and I'm but, feeling great this morning. We had a lot of soup to balance out the Prosecco. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's an odd recommendation about how to consume, but. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm not necessarily recommending it for all palates. True, true. But it worked true. remarkably for mine. If anybody has any great soup recipes for this time of year, please send them in. I love soup. I love making soup. I'm always looking for a great recipe. <laughs> So on that note, let's move to the first segment, Poppin' Culture. We learn about relationships from our friends and our family, but a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. So for the first segment, we take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships. Jacob, what? do you have for us this week? Well, as promised, we are going to do a little bit of a deep dive on one of the couples from Temptation Island season two. Temptation Island. I'm not sure if that's the theme song, but it is for this podcast. (laughs) So I just want to throw this out there that if you haven't been caught up on the season, there are going to be some spoilers. Okay. Hashtag spoiler alert. Yeah. So if you want to wait till you watch episode six, Watch episode six oh my and God. then listen. Technically, not spoiling anything for me. I have no intention to watch any of those episodes. <laughs> so I want to introduce you both to Ashley and Casey. And I'm going to read the bio from the Temptation Island website okay. about them. Perfect. And Ashley then talk and about what they call their journey on Temptation Island. So what exactly is a journey? Uh, you'll find out. Oh, oh, oh. right on. It was love at first swipe for Ashley and Casey when they met on a popular dating app a year and a half ago. Mercy. 
self-admitted self-admitted Florida party boy Casey was only looking for a casual fling, mm. but found way more than he bargained for with wow. sweet Ashley, and they've been together ever since. Mm. Recently, there have been some dark clouds in the Sunshine <gasps> State. The couple who recently moved in together struggle with trust and commitment issues. Ashley has been burned before and is weary of Casey's party boy past. Meanwhile, Casey doesn't want to pay the price for other men's mistakes and often thinks about the single life he left behind. Ashley and Casey believe that if they can survive Temptation Island, their previous deeds and mistrust can be left firmly in the past Ooh. and they can move forward with total confidence. Can they swipe right on a future together? Mercy. <laughs> so, so when you get introduced to uh, Ashley and Casey, Casey seems like a very, a person that is very, he's cool, right? He's like, you know, I can handle this. There's, so you know how I explained the bonfire where they, the men in one house and the women in the other house go and watch clips of what their partner has been doing over the last few right. days. Casey's clips would always be like, you know, I think I love Ashley, but I'm not in love with Ashley. You know, if Ashley broke up with me, it would be fine. I wouldn't mind going back to that single life. Mm. So anyway. So real, 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 real committed guy. Well, Granted, Casey was the only one that hasn't done okay. anything so, so sexual Casey, with any of the other women in the house. But so you're a Casey apologist, is what it's. No, like. I'm not a Casey apologist. <laughs> Just wait, 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 wait. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. So after seeing these clips, um, Ashley has been in the house with these twelve single men. One in particular named Ben, and Ben is very emotionally available talks really openly and deeply about emotions with Ashley mm. and Ashley seeing her live in boyfriend talk about how he's not sure if he's in love with her, if he'd be fine if they broke up. Right. And so finally what Ashley does is she starts falling for bed. And so Casey in episode six goes to the bonfire <gasps> And he's the last one to be shown a clip of the bonfire. And you know, if you watch Temptation Island, then that's a bad thing. Oh. So he gets shown a clip where Ashley and Ben are making out. And then it shows a clip of the two of them in bed. Ooh. Right? right. And you, one might expect. Sex? I, they, they said they didn't, but who knows? We are always um, not cuddling. Um, one might expect that Casey, cool Casey, would be just fine, right? Mm. But the end of episode six, we see Casey get very very angry oh my start swearing and hitting the bench on which he is sitting with his fist oh yeah uh chelsea was we were watching she's like yeah he's got some anger issues <laughs> but i think what this illustrates is this idea that i think is sometimes portrayed especially for white cis straight men this idea that stoicism and being emotionally unavailable is a way to protect mm. yourself or a way to be cool in relationships and not have to worry. Or how you're supposed to be male or act out. Yeah. I think it's really uh, not a smart way to go about relationships, right? Because Ashley right. is asking Casey consistently, I need to know I can trust you. I know you can be safe. I want you to be emotionally vulnerable with me. And he's like, you know, uh, I'm going to be fine. I'm cool. There's nothing wrong with me. But when Ashley finds someone who is emotionally available and fills that safety and connection right. and ditches, well, we don't know. I mean, the season hasn't played out yet, but ditches Casey to be with Ben. 
Casey doesn't handle it well. And it shows how all of that emotional suppression, and even though he's trying to not form this strong of attachment in a, maybe a self-protective or maybe a socially acceptable more view of what... How males are supposed to express emotions. Yeah, their, their emotions in relationships. So I, I think it's a good illustration of if you really do care for someone, don't play that down. I think being emotionally vulnerable, talking to people about how you feel about them and being forward, especially if you're living together, is going to be way more beneficial in your relationship than going on Temptation Island and talking about how you don't really love love the person you're living with. So, you know, express yourself in a healthy way. I love it. Well, and also don't buy into this idea that keeping people out is self-protective because at the end of the day, mm. if you push people away, it's going to hurt just as bad as if you let them in and then they decided to move away on their own. Once again, I am not sure how you turned that into something <laughs> meaningful, but congratulations because I did not know where that was going and I am impressed. Yep. It's meaningful. I, I like it. I'm, I'm here for it. I also wanted to jump in real quick with uh, something. I know we were talking, uh, you know, the last episode was our mini pod and we got a, a good amount of feedback from some listeners and readers of the article that went out really concerned or noting that their family is very toxic and interpreting the research as us encouraging people to become close to very toxic family members. And I think that that is a common misunderstanding of when we say reduce strain or strain is impacts, family strain impacts your health, that people think, oh, I need to fix that by being exposed to toxic family members or just cutting them off altogether. And reading um, a lot of these comments reminded me of this show that came out um, a, a while ago. It's a show called Looking. And it's about... It's very good. Check it out on HBO. Yeah, absolutely. It's about gay men living in San Francisco and about their romantic relationships and also their, their friendships and intimacy between men, both in terms of emotional, physical, and like friendship intimacy as well. Excellent show. I wanted to play a couple of clips specifically illustrating this concept about exposing yourself or cutting yourself off from extreme toxicity in and family relationships. So this first clip is Patrick and Ricky. They used to date, but they no longer date. Oh, also, by the way, sorry, there will also be some spoilers in this one. It's a couple years old, though. So like, if, if you haven't watched it, that's, that's your own fault, right? My, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, so let me cue this up where Patrick and Ricky are talking and Patrick is trying to talk to Ricky about his really bad relationship with his father. So this thing with your dad is like legit bad, huh? It's complicated. Have you ever thought about talking to him? No offense, Patrick, but you don't know shit about my dad. No, I know, I know. But I know you, and... Your dad is anything like you. <laughs> Where are you going with this? <laughs> no, I just... You know, the slight tendency sometimes to just be a little... What? Just a little stubborn. <laughs> Excuse me? Just a little bit. No, you know who you are. 
<laughs> I confronted my mom, and things are better. I mean, they're not completely, but definitely improving. Yeah, well, my dad is in a totally different world than any slot here today. No, I know. I know it's not the same at all. And I didn't mean to imply that it is, but at the same time, I don't know. I, I know what it's like to feel like you can't be yourself when you go home. And so you either stay away or you go home and kind of pretend. Yeah, well, that's what I don't want to do anymore. Don't pretend. That's when you stay away. But then, I mean, if you're anything like me, you kind of want to go home because it's your family, right? So, I don't know, you're kind of forced to confront it. Still, my dad is just... Well, listen, if your dad is a raging homophobe, then I say, okay, never speak to him again. But, but if he's not, then I don't know. Patrick basically was giving Ricky the advice that, you know, maybe try and talk to your dad because Ricky is completely cut off from his father. And he said, if your dad's a raging homophobe, then like, fuck him. But if he's not, maybe there's hope and maybe you can like find some common ground um, somehow. So that was Patrick, Patrick's advice to Ricky about trying to kind of get back in touch with with his father. And I think that's based on our research, one of the things that we would recommend, try to find common ground, see um, if, if you can. Um, and this next clip is about nine months later, Ricky and Patrick uh, talk again, and they talk about that relationship. So I, I finally followed your advice and tried to work things out with my dad. Good. Yeah, it turns out that advice totally sucked. Really? Yeah. I tried to honor the fact that he would never be completely happy with who I am and try to find a common ground, but there was none. Turns out he is a raging homophobe. Uh, it's like him trying to understand me undermines everything he thinks about himself, so... Oh, God. Do you think he'll ever come around? He's a proud f***er, so probably not. Well, if I'm like my mom, then... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but Brady has been really cool about the whole thing. He's been um, super supportive. So that's all. Good. So Ricky did try and work things out with his dad. Turns out his dad is a raging homophobe. Um, so that sucked a lot. But he also talks about how his current boyfriend, Brady, is being very supportive through the whole thing. And I think that is the other aspect that we would really emphasize, that maybe you can't resolve this intense strain with family members, but finding supportive people in your life, we know that support is also linked to improved long-term health outcomes. So finding supportive people in your life, like Ricky did, would be something that we would encourage if you if those relationships with your family just are not possible. What yeah, do you I would, think? Yeah, I was gonna say I agree. Like I think there's a difference between uh, setting a boundary with a family member who is toxic, and then what we would call in like family therapy emotional cutoff, right? So emotional, yeah, explain. explain yeah, the, emotional the, cutoff the, is the idea that you're pretending like oh. I'm cutting you off, but, and it's fine, you know, I'm fine. Kind of like uh, Casey, <laughs> that, like pretending you have this emotional distance where you're just like, I don't like you, I'm not talking to you, you're out of here, 
we don't right. we don't we don't talk about so and so we don't think about him it becomes this uh like like what ricky was saying originally he did he just tries not to go home that often and he just pretends and he, he just doesn't even go home because he doesn't want to even expose and pretend like it doesn't even happen. And then Patrick was like, but don't you miss home? Like you want to go home and be yourself there. Yeah. Because some family, family relationships are not going to be salvageable and staying and trying to persist in those family relationships can be really toxic. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you've tried and you can come to peace and so you're not suppressing anger, pain, hurt, and you're talking through it with other supportive members, that's more of setting a boundary for me. Whereas emotional cutoff would just be kind of like, uh, I don't like you. You don't like me. We're going to never speak to each other, but we're going to hold all this resentment, all of this pain without ever trying to work through it individually. Yeah, I see. Woods? No, yeah, I agree. I think as you kind of introduced this topic, we've gotten this question quite a bit in the last week about is are we encouraging people to kind of cut off from these relationships? But as Jacob's describing, um, what's behind the cutoff is usually a lot of emotion, a lot of unresolved emotion. And so if those people come back together and in a way where they've not they've not worked on that or not discussed their relationship, um, you can see that emotion flare up pretty quickly so right. that it's really clear when a cutoff is not about establishing rules or expectations or um, setting boundaries around how somebody can speak to you or how often you can be in contact or how you're going to engage. Um, but it's about kind of um, uh, a reaction to anger and hurt and pain and fear. And those emotions don't go away if we don't face them. So they can flare up pretty quickly when we're kind of faced with them again. Cool. So let us know if you have any questions. And also you guys watch looking. It's freaking fantastic. Yeah. I really like it. Should have got more seasons. hundred percent. On to our next segment, academic deep dive. Today, we're going to focus on capitalization and talk about a recent paper published in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin. It's called, If You Share My Happiness, You Are a Part of Me, Capitalization and the Experience of Couple Identity. This study was done by an international team of researchers, Dr. Ariel Pagani, Miriam Paris, Sylvia Donato, Shelley Gable, and Dominic Schulman. These researchers are out of Milan, Switzerland, and the University of California, Santa Barbara. All places I want to go visit right now. Right. Yeah, For sure. Maybe they'll invite us. Yeah. As always, the link to the article is available in this and the description of this episode, and we've also shared it on the Twitter. So before uh, I let Sarah take us all to the wonderland of knowledge, a little yes. bit. <laughs> yes. It's where, we're, it's where we're all headed. It's my new title. <laughs> I love um, it. A little bit of background. So when good things happen to us and we have good news, sometimes we really want to share that with people that we love and who care about us. We all have examples of this, right? So some, maybe something happens good at work um, and we want to share it with our partner or our family. Can you guys think of other examples of sharing good news? Uh, when you get a paper published and you're really excited about it and you tell your colleagues in your program and they're really excited about it too. That's true. 
Absolutely. Or when you have like a delicious soup at a party oh, the night before and yes. you are successful in securing that recipe. Good news. Good news. Good news. Share it with your partner. You would not believe what I got for us. Leek and potato. Oh my gosh. There was also a hundred percent some white wine in there that just, it was perfectly salted. It was like amazing. Anyway, see, uh, I digress. So the research we're discussing today describes the interpersonal process of capitalization, which is about this idea of sharing good news. So with capitalization, sharing good news with other people is referred to a capitalization attempt or an opportunity to experience additional positivity over and above the good feelings that result from this positive event occurring to us by retelling and reliving the story. So we experience the good event, we share it with others, and by sharing with others, it's it, we also get an, an additional uh, boost of, of good feelings. I'm sure everyone can relate to this and, and knows and can remember of time, and it, and it makes sense. So telling other people about good things that happen to us can stretch out that experience and enhance it by our re-experiencing it and making it, it making it more meaningful as well. However, there is one more important part of this interpersonal process that really, really matters, this capitalization interpersonal process. And that is how the person we share it with or share that good news with reacts to us. And I'm sure everybody's kind of thinking, oh, I know where this is going, right? So the capitalization response can vary. We've all probably had that experience where when we share some good news that happens to us with our friends or our loved ones, the reaction was maybe colored by jealousy or um, it was dismissive. So maybe they didn't pay attention to you or they shrugged their shoulders or they minimize how important it actually is. Hopefully we've also had experiences where when we share good news, um, our partner or our friends respond enthusiastically. So they're very happy for us. They have excitement, interest, they ask additional questions, and maybe they share how proud they are or they share that experience with other people. So previous research has shown many relationship benefits of these are more active and constructive responses to sharing of good news. The research we're going to discuss today focuses on this capitalization response. So how people respond to you when you share good news and how it's connected to couple identity. So Sarah, can you tell our listeners more about couple identity and what these researchers found? Sure. So as Patricia described, previous research shows that perceiving a partner's response to my sharing of my own good news um, as being really active and supportive is associated with an increase in relationship quality for both partners. And I feel more positively um, over and above the initial effects of my good news. Mm -hmm. It My feeling good grows. But on the flip side, if I perceive a partner to be passive or dismissive or negative, then it's associated with a decrease in relationship quality. Um, and so this process can kind of be thought of as coping, but coping with positive. So one thing I do when a negative thing happens and I want to cope with it, I share with loved ones. But we do this process too when we experience good things. Um, but we don't really know much about how this link happens. And so that's where these researchers introduce the idea of couple identity as a possible mechanism that connects this capitalization mm -hmm. process, sharing of good news and responding to it, and its effect on relationship quality. So can you tell me a little bit what specifically you mean by couple identity? What is that? Yep. 
So this is the degree to which one person includes both their partner and the relationship into their own concept of themselves, meaning the way in which they feel connected and together and like they are a we. Okay. So it's this inclusion of my other, my partner in myself. So sometimes people refer to this as we-ness. Yes. Yep. And previous research has found that the degree to which we feel that we-ness is also associated- <laughs> I hope that it gets funny because it sounds like penis. Sure. <laughs> We're so mature. We are so mature. I have yes. a PhD. That's right. Um, <laughs> that's different research. We didn't, they didn't focus on that specifically. Um, but the degree to which we feel this together team-like quality is associated with relationship quality and commitment as well. So these researchers whose study we're talking about today um, hypothesize that our perceptions of capitalization responses, how our partner responds to us when we share good things that have happened to us, is associated with couple identity, how much we feel like we're on the same team, how much we feel the sense of belonging. And meaning if, you've, if you respond positively to when I share good news, we have some common ground. We have a shared identity. And because uh, when we have higher levels of that identity, where then that might result in greater relationship quality. So they tested that using two studies in this paper. The first was a daily experience study, meaning they looked at how capitalization responses from partners were associated with changes in couple identity throughout the day. Okay. And then second study looked at this longitudinally. So how okay. capitalization responses and couple identity were associated over time to see if that feeling of being on the same team was actually a link between those responses and the quality of the relationship. The daily experiences, you just ask them a lot of times in a row, two times a day or more across multiple days. And so yes. you're trying to look at these kind of micro processes. If something happens earlier in the day, yep. does it affect how I feel about my partner later in the day? Yes. The next one is a much longer study and looking to see if they have more long, like more long lasting impacts. Because, you know, if, these are related kind of just in this micro sense, like daily fluctuations, it might not impact our long-term couple experience. But if it is in these longitudinal models, then it becomes seemingly a more important or potentially a more important aspect of relationships because it can impact long, long term the quality or or whatever aspects of relationships. So I like yes. that they they paired they both of them. Both ways. Yep. I mean you just described perfectly kind of their approach that first they did that daily approach with 90 heterosexual couples. So they completed these electronic daily diaries using what they called a personal digital assistant. They didn't oh describe my. that more as far I mean as far as I could see. I will be looking for more information on that later because that I don't know if they just mean like an iPad or like a I don't know what it means. But but anyways, electronic daily diaries twice a day at lunch and at bedtime over two weeks. Aren't those the PDAs, those things that were real popular in the late 90s, early aughts? Like a Blackberry? Yeah, right? Isn't that called a PDA, personal digital assistant? No idea. <laughs> I... uh, all, those, all those Gen Xers out there, uh, get at us for what a PDA is. A personal display of affection. Also... <laughs> Also not what was studied in this project, but important. <laughs> or but important. A public, that'd be a public display of affection, not personal. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's both personal and public. And, and, we're, and we're off the rails. We're okay with either. Uh, so in that daily diary study, they found over the two weeks that on days men and women perceived their partners to be responding to their own good fortune in a way that was really active and constructive and excited and enthusiastic, they reported higher levels of couple identity, this feeling of being united. 
Mm. In their second study, they used a different set of 169 heterosexual couples who completed surveys six months apart. So longitudinal in air quotes, because it's not entirely the longest um, amount of time, but it's not within those days or two weeks, it's six months apart. So they found that changes in perceptions of these capitalization responses were associated with change in couple identity. In other words, that if I perceive my partner to be more responding enthusiastically more over time, that's associated with an increase in how much I feel like we're on the same team. And that was especially for men, for both women and men, but effect was stronger for men. And men perceiving their partner as more responding more enthusiastically was also associated with a change in women's couple identity. So it happened for myself. I feel like more of a team when I feel like my partner's responding to me in a way that's really positive. Mm -hmm. It also um, happened across the relationship that the more I perceive my, for men, the more I perceive my female partner to be enthusiastically responding, the more her couple identity also increases. Oh, okay. Um, And a change in couple identity over that time was associated with a change in relationship quality over those six months. So... I assume it it improved it? Yes. Okay. So, well, it went in in both directions, right? So that they also looked at passive and destructive responses um, that had a negative effect, how I feel like we have a couple identity. But that, yes, the more enthusiastic and excited for me you are when I share what's happened to me that's really great. The more I feel like we're united and part of the same team, the better our relationship quality is over time. Fantastic. I love these dyadic studies that have both partners because you can see that change in one person's perspective does in fact impact the other partner's um, behavior or perspectives or or whatever. So we're we're not just like making up relationship changes in our in our own head these changes actually are impacting our partner's perception mm-hmm. um, of the relationship too and so powerful potentially public displays of affection <laughs> again not what was not what was studied. not directly tested here not at all so i think there are a few takeaways for our listeners from this research. Um, The first takeaway that occurs for me when I read it um, is this idea of how it can be important to share your good news with other people. Right. It's for me, it occurs to me first when I read this because I am not somebody who likes to share my own stuff with other people. I consider myself to be a pretty private person. Right. And then I regularly have family or friends essentially come to me to say like, oh, I heard about this really good thing that happened for you like round and about. Why didn't you share that? You need to be telling us that stuff. And that's, so that's not something I'm very comfortable with. So, and yeah. I really love research on capitalization because it's um, this really positive interpersonal process that where a lot of the romantic relationship research can sometimes focus on these negatives that affect yeah. relationships over time. This capitalization is something good happened to me. My partner makes it extra better. Uh, and it's just a really positive process. So, um, I think this takeaway of sharing good news with other people can be really important. It turns a solitary kind of personal individual oh. event into something that's relational. It can become something that's important for both of you. And when you share, you may experience more positive emotions over and above the initial excitement you had, maximizing the good. Yeah. But I also relate to you. It's so hard sometimes to be able to share something in a way that doesn't feel like you're bragging. You know, there's this negative connotation sometimes about Mm -hmm. sharing good news. Yep. And I wonder how to, for lack of a better word, get over that and just recognize that the benefits of sharing good news are 
so huge? Well, I think I think that's part of why this research is helpful for me to reframe it. Um, yeah. Which meaning in in my own thinking of like, if I only thought the benefit was going to be, oh, I can feel even better if I tell other people, that would not convince me to tell other people. That would feel like extra selfish with a cherry on top. Like I don't, that's like not necessary (laughs) for me. But if I can think about the fact that it might help that other person feel closer to me, like that we will become part of a closer, more united relationship, that they're going to enjoy that too. And it enhances the quality of our relationship. That's something that's a little bit easier for me to get behind. That's a good point. I agree with that. And I I feel that way when people share good news with me, like that you think I'm important enough to want to share that. That's so cool. And that says something about you trust me and you trust me hopefully to respond in a way that I show you that you're important to me and that I, that helps me. So it's easy for me to see that dyadic process or it's easier. That reframe is helpful. Yeah. The second takeaway I think is also then if you're on the receiving end of someone sharing their good news to get engaged and ask questions and right. show you're interested and share you're proud. Because first, on the other end, might be somebody like me who didn't want to share it in the first place. <laughs> and second, um, that it's really, that's the mechanism in this. It, it's a process. It's not just about me sharing. It is about when I'm hearing somebody share good news, the effects come from my the way I respond and showing yes. them that I'm really interested. Uh, yeah. Th- this article, when I, when I was reading it, made me think of my mom, who I feel is like the, should be like the president of capitalization. I make jokes with Chelsea and my friends that if you have good news and you don't have anybody share it with, call my mom because she will genuinely be excited about that. So shout out to Sally Priest. Like Sarah, I told my mom about your book coming out and all that kind of stuff. And she was so excited. She's like, tell Sarah how wonderful this is. This is so great. She's doing such great work. The running joke is... And it's, you know, it's kind of a joke, but it's really a great characteristic trait Mm -hmm. that she's developed that it makes me every time I have good news, want to be like, hey, mom, guess what happened? Because she is so Mm. genuinely invested and enthusiastic. And it does build, I think, Mm -hmm. that sense of connection with that person. So if you need tips on how to do that, email me and I'll put you in touch with my mom. (laughs) (laughs) All of the attached fandom will be calling up uh, Miss Priest. So it sounds like the take-homes are remember to share your good news. And when people share good news with you, remember to respond in a positive way. And I think that that, that can maybe assume that people are, are, are negative or are inherently jealous. But I think also we're just, everybody is just so busy. Busy. Sometimes yeah. we, um, we hear good news and we are so wrapped up in our to-do list or whatever. We, we don't think to stop and take a beat and express our genuine feelings, our positive feelings to our, our friends or our families or our loved ones, good news. Mm-hmm. So just rem- remember to take that moment. It could be 30 seconds. It doesn't have to be an hour to just reflect and tell them how you feel and how positive you feel about their wonderful. And it also doesn't have to be huge events. So this this first oh, yeah. study was a daily diary study that their couples did not all experience books being published over those two weeks. <laughs> like... It can be small things too, right? Like the person in front of me at Starbucks picked up my order. Isn't that so like, what a great way to start my morning. It can be, it can be small stuff too. So for for relationships where 
you're struggling right now in your partnership or there's a lot of negative stuff going on in your life, it doesn't have to be that you wait for a big, good thing to share. It can be small things too. Yeah, great point. Absolutely. I love it. Finally, time for good or bad advice. Woohoo! Boo! Woohoo! Yeah! Did your grandparents have a saying about love and marriage? Did your parents give you advice about friends or romantic relationships? Did you have a friend or a romantic partner who said something about love and family that maybe you thought was odd or perhaps very poignant? This is the section of the show where we talk about that advice and decide if it was good or bad. And the crowd goes wild. Um, Just for everybody at home, Sarah is actively shaking her head at us. (laughs) Just fine. Making our own sound effects here. I love it. That's right. Sarah, we're sharing good news with you. We want you to capitalize on this and give us like positive facial expressions and support us. Are you though? (laughs) Is that what we're doing? (laughs) The good news is I can fast forward right through those fake sound effects when I listen to this podcast back. (laughs) As always, if you've heard or read some advice you want us to talk about, send it to us. You can leave us a message at 865-229-6775. Email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at attachedpodcast or visit our website, attachedpodcast.com. While you're at it, in that worldwide web world of internets, please like and subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. So we have two pieces of advice today that some listeners sent us. Thank you very much, by the way. The first piece of advice is something I am positive that we all have heard multiple times throughout our life. The piece of advice is turn lemons into lemonade. What do you guys think? Good or bad advice? So I am going to say good advice. Okay. But I'm going, I know Sarah, you should also hear this. I'm going to tell you why. Because you have to do this in a certain way and it's called the Beyonce way. Now, have any of you ever listened to or watched Beyonce's Visual album, Lemonade. Just really hope this uh, good advice, it doesn't end with it's really good to be cheated on, but go on. No, 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 no. You, have you not, have you listened to the album? Have you watched all of the music videos? You can also stream on HBO. Okay. So if you don't know the context around that, yes. Beyonce, the probably one of the most talented people on the planet. Uh, In the history was, of the world. Yeah, was cheated on by her husband, Jay-Z. And as part of that, she wrote this, wrote the music, you know, does all this stuff for this album called Lemonade. And in it, it shows this emotional struggle, right? This idea of at times where she wanted to leave the relationship, there's a really poignant one where she's going around with a baseball bat and smashing car windows. So it shows this anger and this frustration where um, she is processing with this traumatic emotional experience and doesn't know how to handle it. The very end scene is her with, you know, reconciled with Jay-Z, working on their relationship and bringing another child into their family. Now, the reason why I say 
like typically when we say like, oh, when when life gives you lemons, turn it into lemonade. It's very, I, I don't want to say like, it's very, it's like some like uh, yeah, condescending and it wants you to suppress those emotional experiences. Like, oh, it's fine. It'll be over it. Just get over it. But I don't think that's what Beyonce does. I think she really struggles. She shows anger. She shows frustration that she was able to turn this negative experience into an experience of growth. So if it's just about like adding sugar to lemons and saying everything is okay, not good advice. But if you have negative experiences happen to you, if life gives you lemons and you can process those negative emotions, if you can grow from the experience, if you can make decisions based on what is going to be best for you as a person, best for those people who are important to you, and it turns out to be lemonade, I think that can be good advice. But you have to go, you have to go at it like Beyonce. So for me, good advice. Cool. So what you're saying is that the good part of the advice is the process, which is actually not included in. Exactly. Right. I'm expanding it out because Beyonce showed us the way. What's? Therefore, I say it is bad advice. <laughs> I actually hate this advice a lot there are flavors of this go, advice go, go, go. <laughs> and uh there are flavors of this advice not like flavored lemonade there are just different Strawberry. versions of this yeah um <laughs> yeah. there are different versions of this all over the internet all over television all over commercials right. all over everything yeah. there are different messages that sound like be positive this um smile. Uh, put, put a smile on you can um you can get through this. You can, I mean, this like the intent is, I think, to, I guess I actually don't know. Uh, I think the intent is to like really encourage positive thinking. Uh, but a lot of people are up against shit that they can't just positive think themselves out right. of. And really. To min see, minimum, minimize the hardships in their life. Right. So they see this kind of advice, like turn your lemons into lemonade. And no, but no shit. Nobody doesn't want to do that. Everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to be happy and they want to have things work out well. And if they knew how to turn their lemons into lemonade and all it took was sugar, they would do that. They don't need you to remind them that that's the process they should be taking in their lives. Also, lemons aren't so damn bad on their own. I don't always want freaking lemonade. Sometimes those lemons are added to our life experiences to give color and experience and those hard emotions are valuable. So when we suggest that the lemon should be turned into lemonade, we're not saying have some of the lemons as they are or add just a little bit of that lemon to your dish to make it a little bit more, just add some acid. To brighten it up a little bit. Exactly. We're not saying those things. We're saying take the lemons and turn them into lemonade. But there's no way that we should be communicating that to people that those negative emotions or those hard experiences or those struggles aren't valuable. It's it's that process too, right? When you see a kid um, like fall down and get hurt and what, like an adult that's with them says, oh, it's okay. It's okay. You're fine. You're fine. Like, you know, pick yourself up and it'll be okay. Brush it off. Brush it off. If we just took a deep breath for just a second and suggested instead to validate that like, oh, that must have hurt so bad or, oh, you're feeling really embarrassed or I I'd like to give you a hug. Would you like to give, right? Like if we could key in and attune more to that person's experience when they're having a lemon in front of them that they may not be interested in. It would be so much more meaningful. So I hate these messages all over mental health Twitter and um, our culture. Uh, yep. Just, it's all, it's culturally everywhere, especially because as Jacob said, this takes effort, but the effort and the context and the, the struggle are not in these quotes. 
they're not in this advice. When someone tells you to see something in a way that's better than how you're currently interpreting it, they are implying that the only effort to do that is just a simple mental switch. And it just doesn't work like that most of the time. I hate this advice. And it, and it minimizes people's real experiences and also makes people who feel that they're supposed to have this switch and don't have this switch, that there's something inherently wrong with them. Right. And there is absolutely not. Yeah, and I, I would agree with everything Sarah says, right? Right. Because I think that Beyonce, in her infinite wisdom, infinite. changed that narrative, at least I hope. So if anybody says that to them, you just send them the link to Beyonce's Lemonade album and you say like, I, if I want to make Lemonade, I will. If I want to make something else, I'm going to make that too. Or if I, I want to make nothing because I'm just freaking exhausted and I just want to stare at the fact that I have a bowl full of lemons, like that's freaking fine too. Yep, yeah. exactly. So just, just send them the link to my rant for- um, I know, I'm, I'm digging this rant. I am going to replay it. <laughs> Over and your over morning and affirmation, over again. right? That's yeah. right. Your morning affirmation. F all the people who want me to make everything lemonade. I just, it's so dismissive. It is. Oh. All right, moving on to advice number two that uh, someone sent in. Now, this is actually from a, the New York Times Parenting Instagram account. They posted a single quote from an interview with Tom Hanks. And I'm just going to recognize up front that it was based on a very, very long interview and they just pulled an excerpt uh, quote out. So I'm sure that there's context to this, but I wanted to talk just specifically about this quote and see what you all think. Somewhere along the line, I figured out the only thing really I think eventually all parents can do is say, I love you. There's nothing you can do wrong. You can't hurt my feelings. I hope you will forgive me on occasion. And what do you need me to do? By Tom Hanks. Thoughts? So there's some, there's some, I think you have to kind of pull that apart a little bit. I, I take umbrage. Is that the right word I want to say? It's a With, great word. Um, uh, this idea that you can't hurt me. Yes. Right? Like parenting exists across time, right? And, you know, adult children, young kids, teenagers, uh, there's going to be times when they do things that really hurt their parents. And to kind of pass that off of this idea that like, oh, whatever you do, do won't hurt me, I think is, is setting yourself up for failure because you people are emotional beings who have emotional reactions. And that doesn't, like, you can't just turn that off or can't just turn lemons into lemonade or you can't be like Casey from uh, Temptation Island, right? You're going to eventually get hurt, angry, frustrated, sad, feel and experience pain. So I don't buy into that. I do like this idea of, I think Tom Hanks is getting at this idea of wanting to show that love and creating a safe space for their kids. In other words, being there to provide emotional support and uh, letting kids express those negative emotions, letting kids learn from their experiences. I think that can be good advice. I just don't buy into this idea that parents should not be able to be hurt by their kids. I understand that he might be saying potentially because I love Tom Hanks. Right. He's a really cool too. dude. Yeah. Um, and he might be saying like, hey, you know, if he's saying, hey, whoever you love, whatever your identity, whatever, who you are, I'm going to accept and be that. I think that's good advice. I would agree with that. But I've done things that hurt my parents. My parents have done things that hurt me. And I think that if you work through those, you have a stronger relationship. Right. So 
That's that's why I say Tom Hanks. This is a, a Jacob Pre special. I'm I'm on the fence. Okay, <laughs> on the fence. What? Uh, I don't disagree with the fence sitting because I think there's like I I just think that this uh, piece of advice is confusing a few ideas. Um, okay. Not all of which are bad. Meaning I can hear similar to what Jacob's saying. I can hear in this this idea of unconditional love. That as a parent, there is nothing that you could do that would mean I would ultimately reject you, that my goal is always be there for you. But I don't right. think unconditional love means no rules. Right. I don't think unconditional love means I have no feelings and there's nothing you can do to hurt me because the way that we learn how to have healthy relationships first is in our family of origin and often with our parents. That right. might be good or bad, but when it's optimal, there is this idea where you learn that the person I'm in a relationship with, my parent does have feelings and there are rules and expectations and there all are limits because the limits create the safety, right? So in attachment theory, we talk about the secure base, which is another idea that I hear in this piece of advice, this yeah. idea of being a, a source of safety that you can go out and explore the world and know that I will accept you doing that and also accept you coming back when you need to be safe and and to be supported and to connect. And that does not involve you saying whatever you'd like to to me, treating me however you'd like, walking all over me, running my life, using up all my energy. Like there has to be boundaries around that or else you're not a secure base. You're an anxious mess and they don't learn how to have healthy relationships. So those are the pieces that ultimately would have me saying not the best advice. There's nothing you can do wrong. Seems honestly like a prescription for go out into society and do as you will, child. Best of luck to you. Um, have you all ever heard of the play Apples in Winter? No. Okay, so it's it's a one-woman show, and if you can ever find like a YouTube clip or if it comes to like a community theater, check it out. And what the idea is, is you have this woman who's in uh, prison baking an apple pie because her son who killed someone is on death row and is going, and that's the last meal, right? And it really shows this struggle that this mother mm. loves their child, but also that their child did something terrible, right? And like the tension between there, and that's a very extreme example, but right. I think that you can have love for a child and still, I, I think as Sarah was saying, like set rules, have boundaries, know that they can hurt you and be sad and angry and frustrated with them um, and, and know that they can do wrong in the world. Right. So like I said, I think they conflate a lot of ideas in there. And maybe if, um, if you read the whole interview with Tom Hanks, it's it, in context, like you were saying, yeah. PR, it's a lot better, but that's kind of my takeaway from it too. Yeah, it's kind of the intention seems to be there, but when you take that, what the what the actual words are saying, I, I do agree that it's it's problematic. And, and particularly for me, the you cannot hurt my feelings kind of communicates this idea that parents are supposed to suppress their negative emotions. When I think parents are the model for children of how to effectively express emotions. Mm -hmm. So if as a parent, a child does hurt your feelings, effectively communicating that to a 
in an age appropriate way. Of course, you're not going to tell a four year old all of the ins and outs of everything, but in an age appropriate way, that hurt my feelings. And then you're modeling for the child when their feelings get hurt by peers, by wherever, when they're out in the world, how to communicate those emotions that they are then. So I, that's one of the reasons why I find this particularly problematic mm-hmm. is that is one of the, in my opinion, major roles of a parent is to model how to effectively mm-hmm. express emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, um, I don't think, I mean, I think Tom Hanks's children are all adults. So yeah. I don't, even though we're talking about like the importance of setting limits and boundaries and communicating about emotion and modeling healthy relationships, I'm not saying that that's in the context of parents with young children. I'm saying it's with your adult children as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think too, like the resources Tom Hanks has to parent the privileges he enjoys, like, mm. and that what he can give to his kids, you know, <laughs> make it a little bit different than what a, the vast majority of parents are going to be, be able to experience and do too. So that's a, that's a, that's a really good point as well. And again, I know he's a, a remarkable parent. I do think that this quote was probably taken out of context. But so I think really my problems lie with the New York Times parenting Instagram account that extracted this quote, that this specific quote out of context and just communicates problematic parenting perspectives. Well, and Tom Hanks, if you'd like to come on the podcast and talk <laughs> about it, I mean, we'd love to have you. So we'll, we will at you on Twitter. And if you want to come and tell us Twitter? why we're wrong, please do. We, yes, we'd love to hear your opinion. Yes, he is. He did a podcast interview a few years ago on this writing podcast I listen to occasionally. It was phenomenal. He's super into typewriters. And ever since I've been a real fan. Yeah, like I, Tom Hanks, we are not throwing you under the bus. I, oh, I, I love Tom Hanks. Yeah. Uh, well, we love you. The attached podcast crew loves you. We do. <laughs> Seems a little like you're backpedaling really, really hard, but that's fine. <laughs> I don't want to upset any celebrities could potentially retweet us. Um, hashtag, hashtag get those followers up. Um, anyway, thanks everyone for listening to Attached. Remember, call us, email us, or tweet us about any relationship advice you've received and that you're wondering whether to follow or maybe just to pass on. We cannot wait to talk about it. Talk to you next time. 